in a book titled Overcoming Apathy, there's, the author makes these statements. We're drowning in triviality. It's no wonder we find ourselves losing perspective about what really matters. A soft nihilism, a fancy word for everything's kind of meaningless. It's like we're stuck in a Seinfeld episode. You remember that show in the 90s? The show that was about nothing? Well, it wasn't about nothing per se, but about insignificant petty things. A fixation on life's daily minutia. Getting a good parking spot. The annoyance of close talkers. And maintaining one's high frogger score. I bring this up to draw this contrast. Whatever these verses that were just read mean, they are certainly not trivial. We're working our way through the Gospel of Luke and we come to a very challenging section of Scripture where Jesus addresses the crowds traveling with him. It must come as a shock to those listening when he turns to them and says, You know, unless you hate your relatives, you cannot be my disciple. Unless you are prepared to take up your cross, you cannot be my disciple. Unless you are prepared to give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. What do you think the crowd was thinking? It's like, what is this guy talking about not being his disciple? Shouldn't he be telling us how to be his disciple? If he keeps speaking this way, he's going to lose a lot of people. That's no way to build a crowd movement. But that's not Jesus' concern. In a similar passage in John chapter 6, 26, after feeding the 5,000, Jesus turns to his crowd and says, You know... You're not following me because you saw the miracles, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus goes on to explain what it really means to be his disciple, and the crowds vanished. Why does Jesus do this? Well, it's because Jesus is not interested in spectators, he's looking for recruits. If you're just a little Jesus curious, it's not going to cut it. You have to be committed. The questions I have for you this morning are, are you a spectator when it comes to following Jesus? If so, are you willing to be committed? If you're just here out of curiosity... Are you prepared to be a recruit? Let's recognize this choice that's made very clear in these verses, as sobering as they can be. Verse 25 and 26, large crowds traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, they cannot be my disciple. We ought to be shocked by this statement. It was clearly meant to set us back a few steps. 
So is the God that says to love your enemies now saying to despise your relatives? You remember the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother? Is it the God that says to honor them now saying to, to hate them? Clearly not. So when we come across hard passages of scripture, what do we do? Well, one thing that's helpful is to look for other passages with similar words, themes, or ideas. Malachi 1 and 2 and John 9, 13, God says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Jesus makes a very similar statement in, uh, about love and hate in Mark or Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So what we're talking about is called a Hebraism. Something, a new word I learned. It's a unique way in which the Jewish people use the terms love and hate to express preference. Jesus is calling us to love him above all other things. So let's take a minute and think about what that means. Jesus is calling us to love him above all other things. I was listening quite a bit the past few weeks to a X.com Spaces. You remember Twitter? Now it's called X.com. They have a feature called Spaces. Think of it as a talk show, talk show where you have a host, you have speakers, and you have listeners. The host can promote anybody to be a speaker. People call from all over, people connect from all over the world through the internet to these spaces. In this context, it was a space where Jew, Arab and Jews can talk in a somewhat civilized manner. During one of the conversations, one of the speakers says, but we don't care about their children, we care about our children. What was he saying? He was saying, we don't love their children, we love our children. Now, how in the world can that be solved? Only the love of Jesus can solve that problem. And the answer is to develop. How do we do that? We develop a love for Christ. And it's so mind-boggling. You want to love your enemy? Love Jesus more. How do we develop a love for Christ? By realizing what he's done for us, like Jason was saying. How can I do anything but love God knowing what he's done for me on the cross? How can I do anything but love God when I experience his patience after I make a hash of things over and over and over again? How can I do anything but love God with how he deals with my utter laziness? Matthew 10, 37 says, Anyone who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. The only way we can make sense out of the world, out of life, is to learn to love Christ. To develop a love for Christ. To internalize a love for Christ. Where do we ever get this notion that following Jesus is easy? If you don't have a brain, you follow Jesus. If you don't have any guts, you follow Jesus. If you need a crutch, you follow Jesus. If you're a teenage wimp, you follow Jesus. If you're a man that's lost his way, you follow Jesus. Where does that come from? Not from the Bible. God forbid we ever trivialize what it means to follow Jesus. You want to be a disciple of Jesus? Jesus says, you die to follow me. That's the word picture. Pick up your cross. Verse 27, anyone who does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. If we jump down to verse 33, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Yourself, your relationships, and your possessions, that's the cost. It means the end of you and the beginning of a whole new you. You are a new creation. But then the amazing thing he says, he, he's going to give it all back to you. Mark 10, 28. Peter speaks up and says, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, truly, I tell you, Jesus replies, no one has left home, brother, sister, mother, father, children, fields for me and the gospel will not fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecution, and in the end, eternal life. The cost of being a disciple is that we give up everything. It's everything we have. Jesus rearranges our priorities and gives it all back to us. Then he says, honor me with these things. Now there's a daily aspect to this dying to self. In Luke 9.23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Unless we go from a spectator to a recruit, curious to commit it, it's not that we can't be a good disciple. It's that we can't be a disciple at all. Now we come to two parables. Suppose one of you builds a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone will, who sees it will ridicule you. And then we have a, one about a king going to war. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able to, with 10,000 men, oppose the one coming with 20? What strikes me about these two parables is that twice it says, 
sit down. Jesus is saying, I want you to take a minute and think about this. Parable one, sit down and reckon if you can afford to follow me. Parable two, sit down and reckon if you can afford not to follow me. That's right, can you afford to not follow Jesus? There's a day coming when the king will return. Today is the day to sue for peace. That's what it says, to negotiate terms of peace, to discuss terms of peace. And what is God's terms of peace? You, your people, and your stuff. Verse 34 and 35 talks about salt. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's neither fit for the soil nor the manure pile and is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Matthew 5.13 is very similar. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? So, in the Old Testament, there is a book, well, in the Jewish tradition, there's a book called the Talmud. And the Talmud, think of the Talmud as a commentary on the Old Testament. Now, in there, there's a, a very similar discussion about salt. I don't want to go into the details because it's kind of gross. <laughs> but basically it's saying genuine salt cannot lose its saltiness. Genuine salt cannot lose its flavor. Now I want to leave you with some ideas, some thoughts on dying to self. And I'm losing my voice. We talked, all through this, we're talking about dying to self. But what does that look like? I found these vignettes. I wrote one of my own. Maybe think about writing a few of your own. But they put some flesh on this idea of dying to self. Hopefully they'll be helpful to you. So number one, yeah. When you are forgotten or neglected or purposely set aside and you sting with hurt with the result of oversight, but your heart is happy, counted it worthy to suffer for Christ, that is dying to self. When your good is evil spoken of and your wishes are crossed, your advice is disregarded, your opinion ridiculed, and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even defend yourself. That is dying to self. When you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder, any irregularity, any annoyance, you can stand face to face with any folly, any extravagance, any insensibility, and endure it as Jesus did. That is dying to self. When you're content with any food, any offering, any clothing, any climate, any society, any solitude and interruption by the will of God, 
That is dying to self. When you never care when you never care to refer to yourself in conversation or record your own good works or itch for commendation, you can truly love to be unknown. That is dying to self. When you see another prosper, having their needs met, and honestly rejoice with him in spirit and feel no envy nor question God, while at the same time your needs are far greater and in desperate circumstance, that is dying to self. When you can receive correction and reproof from one less importance than yourself and humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no rebellion, no resentment in rising in your heart, that is dying to self. When you enjoy the presence of other people's children, seeing them as a gift of God, wanting to know them, wanting them to know Jesus, but at the same time knowing you will never have children of your own, that is dying to self. The range of dying to self is vast. So again, the question, are you a spectator when it comes to following Jesus? If so, are you willing to become a recruit? Are you here out of curiosity? Are you interested in becoming committed? Jesus' invitation is wide as it can be, but the point of entry is very, really very narrow. And the daily fee is you, your people, and your stuff. Praise team.